This is Rachel Lynn, and you are listening to Upstage Left. In this episode, I speak with actor and playwright Abby Rosebrock. We actually recorded this episode in January of 2019. At the time, Abby had a play going up at The Atlantic called Blue Ridge, starring Marin Ireland. So we talk about that a little bit in the beginning of this episode. I It was only the second interview I did, so I think I've been sitting on it for so long because listening back, I was embarrassed by how unprepared I was to ask her questions. But Abby does say a lot of really useful and insightful things about the process of being both an actor and a writer and the importance of taking care of yourself mentally and spiritually. And she says a lot of things that I'm only even understanding now, so it's really in a huge privilege to be able to listen back to this. If this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, welcome and please follow us on at Upstage Left Podcast on Instagram. I am not great at marketing, so if you like the episodes, please subscribe, follow us, and feel free to reach out with any feedback. All right, here is Abby. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Let's actually talk about where you're from. Because you're from North Carolina, is that South right? Carolina. South Carolina. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I'm so sorry. No. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time in North Carolina, though. Oh, you it's have? a very fertile place in my imagination. Is that where you went to school? Uh, my brother went to college at Appalachian State University in Boone oh. um, when I was in middle school, which is a time of life that comes up a lot in the play. Um, it was sort of a formative time for me in a lot of ways, as it is for most people, and I was spending some special times with my family up in, in western North Carolina uh, when I was a kid around that time. So, and now my parents live there part of the year. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's what I think, I thought, because uh, I remember you saying that you, like, go back there sometimes. Is that where you were for the holidays? Um, was I? No, I was in South Carolina for two oh, okay. days. Yeah, oh, got it, got I took it, got the Amtrak, which was amazing. Oh, yeah. Highly recommended. <laughs> do, you, do you see, like, a lot of good foliage and, like, views going down from New York to South Carolina? I slept for a lot of it, but, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of trees and wintry, um, Depressing but poetic looking treescapes <laughs> outside of the train window. So. so, you have this play happening right now at the Atlantic called Blue Ridge, and it's it opened in December. December. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna let you talk about it. Sure, yeah. It's about a woman who is sentenced to six months in a halfway house in Western North Carolina, and her adventures sort of tending to everyone else's recovery and business and not looking at her own wounds. She's sentenced to live in the house because she's taken an axe to her principal's car. She's an English teacher and was entangled romantically with her principal and mentor and has to deal with the the fallout of her actions when she attacks him in a rage. Um, and how's how's your experience been? If this is would you consider this your? Well, I guess what would you consider like your 
big break or whatever? Um, do you feel like you had one, or do you feel like this is... I feel like every project's so different, and I've had to just take everything a day at a time since I started working in theater, so it definitely feels like a bigger audience than I'm used to reaching. Um, I love working at The Atlantic. It's one of the warmest and most exciting places I've ever encountered. It's also one of the, I think it's the first, I think it's the first full-length play I've had produced that I haven't acted in, and so it's been different on that front. I've had to just sit with the feelings of having a play um, released into the world without the of comfort of being able to like run lines in my head or something like that mm. um, so I don't know if that makes sense but it feels like the first time I'm playing the role of strictly the playwright in a full length in production and that's been really exciting and the learning process and it's sort of a it's just a luxury to see people to sit back and watch people perform your words it's really humbling and It's an amazing cast. Oh my God. They're yeah. so fun to watch. They're wonderful. Um, I do want to talk about, like you mentioned, you are an actor, writer, and I met you first as an actor. Mm-hmm. Did you come to acting first or did you come to writing first? I think in some ways sort of both at the same time. I was an academic for a little while. I was teaching English and knew deep down that I wanted to be acting and so I started taking improv classes and doing some sketch comedy and in that world most people are sort of creating and performing original material it's not there's not a thick demarcation between the writers and the performers in in comedy so when I found my way to theater and playwriting I was used to working in that dual mode and I still really enjoy it I think being an actor really primes me to write specifically for performers and to listen to performers' perspectives when a script is being developed. I really want people to feel comfortable and excited to perform the material that they are bringing to life on stage. Um, So working closely with actors is really important to me in the development process. How old were you when you started? acting and doing a comedy? Uh, mid-twenties, I think, or mid to late-twenties. I My first full-length play was in, I think, 2013. Was that Different Animals? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I met, did I meet you in 2013? Or 2000? I think so. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's when I met you. We met around that time. Wow, so you just started in 2000. That's, like, pretty recent, so now it's only been six years. Yeah, Since you I, started? Um, 2000, how old am I now? I'm 32. <laughs> and in 2013, I guess I was 27. I think I started a little bit before that in comedy. Okay. Um, before I started like acting and playwriting with a capital A and capital P. Wow. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was my first foray into playwriting proper. So. 
That's amazing. And did it feel very natural for you? Because, I mean, I saw that production. It was a great production. It was at the... Thanks. Cherry Lane. What, the Cherry Lane, yeah. yeah. So how did you get that one produced? You, like, just came onto the scene and you're like, I'm going to make a play. Um, that, I was in an acting class and writing material for myself and other people in the acting class and got some attention and support from the person teaching it and a business partner of his. And then the next play that I did, I think was singles, I mean, I, I wrote an, another full length or two after that, but the next play that we brought to life was called Singles in Agriculture, and that was sort of self-produced with the director and an independent producer for a festival. So mm. um, every journey, every play has been, the production journey has been very different. That's really cool. Does it feel like it's been a short amount of time since you're like moving from different animals to Blue Ridge to the Atlantic, which is like such a, you know, vaulted space, I think. I think of, I mean, a really reputable company, big audience. Yeah. Um, it does feel really fast. Writing and any, any sort of creative work is very consuming and often involves a lot of drama and energy. And um, I guess in that sense, the last five years have been kind of a blur. But I did, I was working for a pretty solid amount of time in Ensemble Studio Theater. That felt like a big, a very important space to develop certain skills and um, meet folks and kind of learn my own voice as a writer. And I had a play produced there earlier this year. So yeah, that, that felt like a a big part of the journey. journey yeah. yeah. You also acted in that one, mm-hmm. Dido of Idaho. Mm-hmm. Did it feel like a premiere to you, or like did it feel like um, a big coming out in a way for you, or, um, or it, would you say SIA was more like singles in agriculture? They, they both felt really exciting to put on their feet. Dido of Idaho, I I written. Um, with the hope of performing it with uh, the company of people who developed it and being able to do that and to see that through was felt very important and exciting. But both, I just learned so much about myself and about the people I work with and about how to work and how I want to be working from both processes. So every. There's so many people who are involved in the production of a play and so many tiny interactions on a daily basis and so much mental and emotional heavy lifting that I feel like I'm, my brain just explodes every time. <laughs> like I reach a new level of understanding and also come across all sorts of big questions and question marks. So I don't think the, the idea, I think every project, every step forward feels like a, a break in that way, or feels like a step towards something new. Mm, yeah. So before you started doing comedy, you were an academic. You mm. said you were, you're studying medieval literature? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 
Well, I did a PhD program and a teaching fellowship. Um, so I was teaching English and writing a dissertation on Chaucer. <laughs> Maybe that will come in handy one day. I'm not sure. I really have no idea. And you had just, and so you're doing this, your PhD program, and you're just like, I'm going to, I think I'm going to start acting, taking an acting class. Is that what happened? Pretty much, yeah. I was watching a lot of movies, and the golden age of TV was starting to happen, or was sort of in its um, full bloom, and really envying the people who were getting to do this thing that I knew that I'd always wanted to do, and... Um, the guy that I lived with at the time was like, you're really miserable, like you want to be acting, you should take like an improv class or something, just start somewhere. Um, and that's what I did, and I met a whole bunch of cool people through that, and gradually found my way to theater. But all the reading and literature and the experience of teaching, everything, maybe not always very explicitly, but it always kind of filters into the work, I think, in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. I can. I mean, I feel like your work is very academic, like, it's, I mean, Dido was rooted kind of in oh, opera. Yeah. My character's a, a musicologist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I feel like you're, uh, I see in your plays, especially in, like, Dido, the, one the ones this past year, a lot of, like, academics, even, yeah. even in Blue Ridge. Yeah. And she's a teacher. She's an English teacher. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> what, in the past six years, what would you say has been, like, the most challenging thing about? I don't know. The thing that's on my mind the most right now is how difficult it is to manage. Because I want to write about things that I'm struggling with in hopes of offering something to people who are struggling with similar things. Um, and sitting down with your demons every day and wrestling with them can be really detrimental if you're not taking care of yourself. And the more willing I am to ask difficult questions of myself and to address them in the plays, the more I'm learning that I have to take care of myself mentally and psychologically like with extreme vigilance. Writing is so obsessive by nature. You're spending a few hours sometimes figuring out where to place a comma in a line and then realizing you don't know where the time's passed. And there's so much creation and destruction that goes into just a small passage of text that you just really have to take care of your mind. You have to have like a ninja brain to be able to do that and to infuse the work with as much humanity and real emotion as you can just takes a really strong, healthy mental space. And I wasn't aware of that challenge when I first started writing and I'm increasingly aware of it with, with every project. Acting actually helps with that, to be able to go to a friend's place and read in a play they're developing around the table just to get out of my head and play a character in someone else's universe rather than a character that was born in my own um, history or my own imagination is really 
cleansing and energizing and invigorating. So doing both, wearing multiple hats and staying curious and involved in different parts of the process, I find helps with um, alleviating the like emotional strain of, of writing about you know the most triggering topics in my life. But I think that's that's a challenge that won't go away. That'll always be there. And when you act in your own plays when you're not getting to leave your own universe, do you then, when you're acting your own words, do you, are you also looking at the text as the writer and rewriting while you're performing it a lot of the times? Or do you, when you're act, in the acting phase, do you usually leave it alone and try to just play it out until, you know, the as close as you are to production to, to see if it really works? Um, that's a good question. It sort of depends on the context and the project and the, the stage and the process. I try to be as open to feedback as possible, writing-wise, especially when I'm acting, because I never, when I act in a project, I want to be doing it from a place of solidarity with the cast and, and to be as humble about the writing as I can. And really, writing is so mysterious and difficult that that humility, humility is important whether I'm acting or not. Um, so yeah, I guess long story short, I tend to err on the side of being ready to rewrite and take feedback and try feedback and revise as late as possible. But if I know something's right, I tend to fight pretty hard for it. Do you, are you ever like, why did I write this for myself to perform now and I have to do it? Do you ever feel that way? Because, I mean, the roles I've seen you play, even, uh, I'm thinking of, like, you know, SIA and uh, different animals. I mean, they're pretty intense and, like, you do some pretty revealing, vulnerable things in them. Are you ever like, oh, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> At the time of those shows, no. It was just exciting to be able to enact that catharsis um, every night. I think the more I meet people and learn about the industry and learn about myself and my own needs, I'm a little more inclined than I used to be to um, set boundaries and hide certain parts of myself, for better or worse. Mm. So I, I'm really glad for a million reasons that Marin's playing Allison and Blue Ridge, that part would be very, very difficult for me to, to play out every night. It just goes really deep and dark. And I think if I had signed up to act in this one, it would be, it might destroy me. <laughs> so I'm really glad that she's doing it, but also because she's a terrifying virtuoso and just does it so exquisitely, it's hard to put into words. She, it's really, really cool to watch. I mean, the entire cast is like very, yeah. very cool to watch on stage. There's something, um, yeah, really exciting about it. Um, yeah, I, I love the cast. <laughs> One recurring theme I kind of find in your work is the violence in female friendships, especially in Dido and you know, seeing it here, like, there, there's something about how, like, women inflict violence on each other through the act of being friends and then not being friends sometimes, mm -hmm. or, you know, can you sp speak about that a little bit? 
Yeah, I think I'm interested in, a, it's a buzzword, but codependency. The ways in which, not just women, but the specific ways in which women are socialized to look to external validation for security and worth. I think that there's a sense of scarcity of resources and the degradation and devaluation that women sometimes face out in the world, at least in my case, sometimes drives me to like place a lot of pressure on female friendships and to really need and seek validation from those friendships to feel okay in the world. And I think that women can be pretty vicious to each other in, in doing that. We're placing pressures on each other, emotional pressures on each other that we would never, it wouldn't occur to us to place on, on men. Mm. Um, we need things from each other and we punish each other for our own pain sometimes. I think these phenomena aren't specific to women, but I do think that there are sometimes particular strains of pressure and competition and turmoil in, in female friendships that result from the specific pressures that women face out in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And when you say scarcity of resources, I feel like you're saying kind of, you know, we're that's something we're led to believe, where mm -hmm. women are like conditioned to think that there is there isn't enough of whatever, and we're competing. I think no, I think scarcity is well in Dido of Idaho. There's a giant fight between a, a woman and her boyfriend's wife, um, a, a wife and a mistress, and resources is maybe a cold word. I think there's like a there's a real scarcity of love and value for women in, in the world. Like, that play takes place in Idaho and the characters joke about how there aren't any decent left-leaning men in, in the area. It's a super red state and uh, the main character is an academic and I believe that she really hasn't met many men that she can relate to, that there's a real scarcity of emotional, romantic, social opportunities for a woman like that in, a, in that part of the country. Mm. And so I don't think she's making up in her mind that the odds are sort of stacked against her materially. But she reacts to that by belittling the, the wife of the man that she loves, rather than um, working on herself and, her, and creating a life that she herself can be proud of. And then the wife character, there's an equal and opposite reaction. She, well, it's not equal, but the wife character really just tries to physically destroy this, this person in reaction to her own sense of security being threatened. Neither woman feels secure enough to address the situation from the perspective of like a higher self. Of just being like, well, I could leave Idaho or, I don't know, pursue someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or remove myself from this entanglement with this 
dangerous man that I love. He's like, if he's the only woke man in Idaho, they see him as a scarce resource. But that in itself is is dehumanizing to him in, in a way. And that's not to privilege his pain over theirs, but the sense that there's just not enough love in the world, there's not enough security in the world, that we live in a scary world that doesn't provide for us is very strong for the female characters in that play, and it's really bad for everyone that they touch. Hmm. Do you, so, you know, speaking of scarcity and resources, I feel like we're in a moment, especially this past year, this past season, I mean, at The Atlantic, we're seeing, even in that season, it's it's like very female-driven season, or do you feel like you're, we're seeing a, or we're in a time where we're finally seeing like a shift, a paradigm shift in like the kinds of work that people are interested in? I feel like not so much on like the main stages or like, you know, at a Broadway level or I don't know, I feel like it's still very male dominated, but are you, are you feeling like in the past six years you're seeing a change in the kind of work that's getting produced? I hope so. I know that I'm less inclined to be myopic in in what I see. And so you have to, with anyone who produces or creates, you have to be sort of obsessive and you have to really believe in yourself and eliminate self-doubt as much as you can and stay true to your own vision. But I'm also, you also have to stay open to the world and to different perspectives and, you know, curious about ways in which you might be wrong or which you might need to change or open up. And that's, that can be a really hard balance to strike. And I see, I've been grappling with that, those two needs and the way that they're in tension with each other. And I think a lot of, at least other artists and administrators I know are also grappling with that. Yeah, I think everybody's values are, not everybody, but a a lot of really vital, creative people and institutions are experiencing a shift in values, which is exciting. I love what you said about needing to be curious and questioning yourself. I feel like not everybody would, you know, come to that conclusion, and it's so important as an artist and a creative. Are there, are there any things that, you know, when you started out six years ago, seven years ago, you wish you had known about this, like, journey that you're going you're gonna to be on? Or is there any advice that you would have given yourself when you're starting out? Um, I wish that I had learned some really vital lessons about self-esteem and self-respect, I think, early on. I really wish, and self-care, you know, again, I'm throwing around buzzwords, but... I tend to be very open to feedback, to apologize profusely. I have a bad habit of, um, you know, needing to be liked. A lot of us get into this line of work because there's some need for validation and need to be liked and loved and approved of and laughed with, mixed in with our nobler um, motivations. And that can really get you into a lot of trouble. Um, and like personal agony (laughs) yeah yeah there there have just been a lot of uh, moments when I wish I had spoken up for myself differently and I think that that 
would have benefited everyone involved in those situations. But I was raised in a culture where being pretty and likable and charming is sort of necessary for survival. I think we all are to a certain extent. And going to seminars about how to please casting directors and reading articles about how to please agents as an actor specifically, I learned a, a lot of detrimental lessons that made me feel very, very, very small. Mm -hmm. um, and I wish that I had learned early on that it, it's to everyone's benefit that I not feel small, mm -hmm. that no one feels small, and that if someone in a room is trying to make others feel small, that that has to be addressed first thing because um, the best work is born of, and I'm, I'm quoting an actor friend of mine named Alex Gould because I just <laughs> talked to him yesterday, but he was saying the best work is born of, of fearlessness. So um, I, I am grateful now to be in a place where I understand that empowering myself is the best way to help empower other people around me. And forgiving myself for mistakes and forgiving others for mistakes is, is part of that. How do you eliminate self-doubt or what are your go-to methods for that? Oh, I struggle with it every day, but there are certain rehearsal rooms that are when kindness and openness and compassion are like the keystones of the room, like that makes that makes it really easy to show up and be confident. And I'm reading a lot of spiritual and religious texts that deal with faith and and like strengthening my sense of faith in, in the universe or in a higher power like tends to help me be a little more confident about my own what I myself am and bringing to a being able to trust that if I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. Being able to trust that I can show up with a bunch of questions and maybe have a few answered by the end of the day is um, that sense of trust in the wider context helps me get out of the, the spirals of self-doubt that I that come up inevitably. I feel like since I met you, you've never really, I mean, you were teaching, but you kind of just dove in, and I think for a long time you didn't have a, like, do you have a day job? Um, I have always pieced together a living, like, touring and editing and doing stuff having to do with words. Right now I'm working on a few different writing projects, so I've always been sort of a, a freelance type person. But you kind of, I feel like you kind of just like were like, I'm doing this and I'm going to, you committed fully to this lifestyle of being a writer, performer, and how you've been able to move what I would consider like pretty quickly through this industry. You know, you have, you've never been bogged down by like the day to day of, I don't know, surviving in New York. I mean, you have as much as we all have, but it can be very confusing, I think, being an artist in New York. You know, you see there are lots of different industries around us, and I feel like part of the temptation is just being like, oh, maybe I'll work in this industry and a little bit, like totally like, you know, hospitality or whatever it is, mm -hmm. to pay my rent and like buy things. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's it's a commitment to kind of be more monastic and be like you know I'm I'm just gonna sit down every day and write or sit down every day and like do the exercises I need to do to become a better artist you know I do have a pretty monastic life (laughs) um I I'm definitely a minimalist um and but actually teaching and tutoring and editing helps keep me vital It, it helps me um stay connected with people who aren't in theater and watch the way that their creative minds work so that's that's been a great way to make ends meet over the years but it's hard yeah it's really hard not having a sense of financial security and spilling all your guts onto the page every day and presenting it to the world for all kinds of scrutiny knowing that a lot of people won't get it um it's really really hard (laughs) yeah but I do think there is like a deep sense of you have to have a deep sense of trust in the universe I feel like to be able to 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 navigate that and to be like you know what I'm just going to keep doing it and eventually maybe a lot of people won't like it but someone will and you know I mean in your case a lot of people have resonated with it and your work and it's you know moving forward and so you know what are you seeing for yourself up ahead or not even just yourself like theater in general what are you excited by what are you hoping to see more of or create more of I love whenever I see women performing original material so my especially friends who are writing for themselves and writing for actors they work closely with I think really rich exciting work is born of that and I think the role of my relationship to humor and comedy is is shifting and I used to have a very clear idea of what I thought was funny and now an interesting thing about Blue Ridge is that the laughs are never the same. They're never consistent. There's always a different laugh track every single night. And I think that I'm excited to um, continue exploring what laughter can do for an audience and what its role is in the world right now and in the current conversations that a lot of us are having. So I'm a lot more conscious of the values that I want to bring to my work than I was a few years ago. It's less about entertaining and more about answering difficult questions. And I think that's true of of a lot of writers and performers I know, and I'm really excited to continue working with people who share some of those concerns. And I, I love working regionally. Um, I was just going to say, because I feel like you are a unique, you, when you see your work produced, like, it's you know, um, SIA is set in, where is SIA set? It's in a hotel in Galveston, Texas, but the characters are from South, like the foothills in upstate South Carolina and Oklahoma. When you see your work, and Dido of Idaho is set in Idaho, when you see your work re- produced regionally, do you feel like you're speaking to those audiences in a different, in a way that's not 
it's speaking to them differently? It's just, it's so exciting. It's so much fun. I mean, seeing your work produced in New York is a little bit, and then going somewhere else and seeing it produced in another region, it's like getting out of your head. In a way, you I share a headspace with people who live here to a certain degree, and so there's kind of an, an echo chamber effect in terms of what people respond to, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's really exciting to produce work in New York, it goes without saying, but being able to see it in a different context and hear what people respond to and how they respond in a totally different part of the country just is mind-blowing every single time. It's so exciting, and it makes me feel more alive, and it makes the work feel more alive. Um, so I'm really interested in theaters and companies in, in other parts of the country that are working really hard to serve their communities and doing amazing things um, in terms of diverse casting initiatives and their programming. And I've just seen and met so many people. The few regional experiences I've had have just really been transformative and exciting for me. Well, thank you. Thanks for talking to me, Rachel. I'm so glad to have you. I'm really honored. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, cool. It makes the work feel more alive. Um, so I'm really interested in theaters and companies in, in other parts of the country that are working really hard to serve their communities and doing amazing things um, in terms of diverse casting initiatives and their programming. And I've just seen and met so many people. The few regional experiences I've had have just really been transformative and exciting for me. Well, thank you. Thanks for talking to me, Rachel. I'm so glad to have you. I'm really honored. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon.